Hello, lovely podcast people. This is just a short intro to uh, a podcast, which was a guest appearance where I appeared on the Mind Muscle Project podcast. Difficult to give you an overview of this one. Uh, really enjoyed recording this. It, uh, you know, it was quite varied, which is cool. Talked about, as usual, some rapid fat loss stuff. And, and it was good, actually, because got into some topics that some of you, or I don't think I've necessarily touched on in my own podcast with regards to that. Some stuff about training, in a rapid fat loss phase. Some tougher stuff about myself, my daily routine, some some areas there. <laughs> Funny bit about my quote-unquote dream podcast guest. Anyway, I hope it's enjoyable. Uh, it's a longer one, which I, I know lots of you request for me to do longer podcasts, but, you know, you get them as and when with me. But this one, whenever I'm a guest on someone else's podcast, they've prepared lots. It's just nice, flowing conversation. So I hope you really enjoy this. As ever... Reviews on iTunes, thank you very much. And I will just say, because of when we're going to release this podcast, sign up for my MacMail list if you want to come to the event on the 27th of November. It's going to be epic. It's uh, the conference gift. The famous conference gift is all is being manufactured as we speak. So that's going to be super cool. Loads and loads of attendees, daytime, still some spaces at the dinner, after party. We've got our biggest after party space yet our little vip area which i think is about 112 120 people at the after party now which is quite nice um so yeah if you want to come don't pay full price sign up for my mac mail do it that way unbelievable value for money just a reminder let i'm just going to say this really quick right unbelievable look at any other event in the in, in any industry really i mean i might be wrong there because i don't know but in the fitness industry health industry nutrition industry whatever look at what people charge and that, this isn't me you know slight on them they need to make money uh, but that's not what our events are about they're not uh, you know a source of revenue for us we they are just something that we want to put on every year to bring people together to provide expert information not you know just joe blogs with twenty thousand followers on instagram here's his opinion or here's a round table whatever this is these are real experts you know apart from me obviously <clears throat> i'm just the instagram face uh but yeah on really important topics and it's you know for the price, like you get all day refreshments. You know, I've been to events where it's several hundred pounds to attend. You don't get any tea or coffee. You maybe get a jug of tap water on a table, if that, but no, often not. Uh, you get no food, no drinks. Hours you get a, this, the four-star Orchard Hotel buffet hot lunch. It's phenomenal. You get all day teas and coffees, snacks, etc. You get a conference goodie bag, which is worth like 15, 20 quid. And you get all of the information, all of the talks, acts aspect can't talk you get treated really well it's very professional for pennies and if you want to you can have a optional handshake hug fist bump with me selfie if you're one of those people who likes that i love that obviously but um yeah i'll leave you with this podcast i hope you enjoy it and i hope to see some of you on the 27th much love all right, My Muscle Project, welcome back to another episode. Today, I'm very excited to bring on uh, someone who I think many of you have probably probably seen before or heard before. You've definitely heard of his, his university, and that's Martin McDonald. So 
Man, thank you for joining us on the podcast. I know it's been a it's been a little bit of a journey to get you on. I think I sent you a message back a while ago and then a friend of ours, James, reached out and then we went back and forth for a bit, but we're finally here. So thank you for being on. Yeah, no, thanks very much for having me. And uh, people do often say that, that it's a bit of a... Uh, yeah, I'm not great with my uh, timetabling, but yeah, no, I'm glad to be here. So thank you. No, that's all right. I think uh, it's pretty common with all intelligent people just are so focused on the work so focused on uh, other things with the blinders on trying to solve humanity's problems that maybe get to uh, put put the google calendar events in but uh we're here now so um like i was saying to you at the start there's a lot of different topics that i wanted to get your thoughts on um that i think you have some really good unique kind of points of view on um and they're kind of all different so i want to try and link them all together so i thought maybe mm. a good starting point uh which i thought would be it's kind of a discussion I think that's come up a few times with uh, my circles of just people that are obviously trying to battle the obesity epidemic uh, in all mm. different various ways, which I think in, in many ways we're all trying to do in the fitness community. Um, but I wanted to get your thoughts on wh- what do you think has been one of the main causal factors or a couple of the main causal factors <clears throat> in causing the obesity epidemic? Because I think the discussion started the other day is obviously you can look at the USA right away and be like, okay, worst case scenario right now. But then you're going to look at nations like China, for example, that obviously had no issue 10, 15 years ago. And now they're starting to emerge as, you know, becoming one of the issues that the USA have getting an obesity problem as well. So I'm curious to get your thoughts um, on what you think is kind of driving the obesity epidemic. Mm. Jeez, yes. Let's start easy, shall we? (laughs) (laughs) So this idea, the obesity epidemic, and the answer I'm going to give could, I could wrap it up really in a boring way. And, um, and in a way that is easy for people who are, you know, you said there, I think we're all in the industry trying to tackle this in our different ways. And I disagree, not with you, but with that, if I if you take that literally, there's a lot of people in our industry who are not here to help people. They're here to make money and mm. nothing else. And they maybe have lost their way along the way, or really they just see our industry as one where it's easy to make money because of desperation, right? You have desperate people and people prey on that. And sadly, that's the world we're in. So those people will, will try and disagree. And this is what they constantly do to take the focus away from what works to their program or their pill or their potion, et cetera. And realistically, it's the energy balance equation, right? Most of your listeners, I'm sure, will be aware um, that we've got this calories in, calories out, whatever you want to call it, energy balance, physical activity, expenditure, and intake. And what has happened oh sorry can you still see me i think my camera's just done something funny i can still hear you yeah oh you still hear me yeah um it what has happened is we've got this scenario of um the food environment is making us eat more and you'll get different people going it's carbs it's sugar it's fat it's added fats it's added sugars blah 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 and realistically if you look at the data it's all of them it's that we're eating more. Now, why are we eating more? There's probably two reasons. One reason, 
is food engineering, the food environment. There are people whose entire job it is, is to make you want to eat their food. And they combine these different things, which we have innate drives to eat. Um, you know, people are going, you know, sugar's more addictive than cocaine, this, that, and the other. And where that stuff comes from is the lighting up of the areas in the brain. And, and realistically, cocaine is hijacking a normal pathway of reward. It's not the other way around how some people are thinking. It's like, oh, that's the addictive drug center in the brain. That's not what that center is. That center is developed to reward us because... Unfortunately, we have progressed quickly as a species, and but we are still really built for scarcity. We are evolved, if people are happy to talk about it that way, for scarcity. So we can learn foods that are high calorie through gut brain axis, you know, eating stuff, it goes into our guts, it tells our brain, we get this dopamine release, and we can we can learn. So even through visual cues, we can perceive the reward from what we're about to eat. And therefore, and when you get hungry, the perceived value of that food goes up. And, and also it creates more of a differential between what we would term healthy foods um, and essentially lower calorie density foods. And so the differential goes up. So you're more likely to push towards that. And so then you have food cues, you have marketing, you have smells and the environment and the affordability. And you've got all this other stuff as well, poverty and, and therefore where there's food um essentially food fear or maybe i will i be able to access food and then you've got cheap food and um people start talking about stress responses so uh you know if you live in a very stressful uh, and it's actually there's there's quite cool studies on this uh and i love them because i make jokes about them which uh go down really well in australia because people have a sense of humor in Australia. Most places, most other places they don't. So uh, there's the chocolate cake women's study that I talk about. And essentially they, they piss off women and then they go, do you want some chocolate cake? And then the women eat loads of chocolate cake and then they, and then they're, they're nice to them and they don't stress them out. And they go, do you want chocolate cake? And they eat a little bit less chocolate cake. And I'm like, people are like oh yeah science all these lab coats and lab i'm like no that's that's science and it's super super real life we can literally relate this to real life mm. and and you'll know clients etc it's like oh, i'm so stressed and i just wanted to eat all the ice cream and chocolate cake um it's such a cool study and um you know like a randomized control trial it's not just some joke tv that you know randomized control trial with actual uh empirical data coming out of it so going back to your question, it's like, okay, we have this food environment and that's just designed to make us overeat, overconsume, come back to it. And, and then all that other little stuff that I've mentioned there, that it's just the minefield. Then, and then, so the second part of that, so there's like two, two parts I'm going to talk about here, but the second part of one of my parts is then just this genetic issue, because then we have this situation where we have so there's like the maternal epigenetics so essentially the way a mother eats will affect 
the her unborn child and so we get this maternal epigenetic environment where we're essentially making children more prone to weight gain when they are born and there's two factors to that as well in that just the um socialization so uh, if i can say sort of fat families essentially because of the way they are used to eating is just it, you know it's almost uh, contractible you learn the way you eat you are fed a certain way etc and so and there's no judgment in anything what i'm saying here it's just the landscape that i'm describing and so you've got those two factors then. And so this is why we talk about prevention is so much better than cure because cure is very difficult and comes with um, certain roadblocks or, or things that pull us back. It's much easier to keep it off to, to, you know, to one extent or another then once we have to lose it our body's then kind of fighting against us so you have these tricky situations of so that's my answer in terms of the food consumption and the two parts of that is the environment but then over time you know we're, we're now 60 plus years into this kind of trend that you're describing and and it's only really getting worse and then the flip side of it which i won't talk as much about it is just physical activity it's we're doing everything we can to make our lives easier. And um, it's a recipe for what we are seeing here. You, you don't need to elicit weight loss for the metabolic benefits of exercise to make someone extremely or to, you know, impact someone's metabolic health a lot they do exercise they don't need to focus on weight loss and major factors risk factors for their you know cardiovascular disease risk etc get better they don't have to count calories they don't have to lose weight the exercise doesn't have to burn loads of calories it's simply a factor of being active and we're doing everything in our power not to do that whether that's our jobs but even even then our hobbies our mm you know, just our lifestyles, we're flipping, we're flipping lazy, right? So um, we're just, we're all, we're programmed in many ways to seek the easiest route, easiest path, and therefore, um, you know, and plus technology is just making things, everything easier, and we do less physical activity. Mm. Yeah, I was having a discussion yesterday with one of my clients about uh, the tech, so you know, the startup tech world, he does a lot of investing mm. in that. And he just talked about how our expectation for startup tech apps now is so much. You used to be able to build an app and then on the go as it breaks, fix it, breaks, fix it. And people were a lot more forgiving. But in many ways now, if something isn't perfect by the time we get it, and I think this carries over to all different things, it's like they're not interested. And so I think in many ways, tech's been really good, but then by virtue of it being really good, our expectations for everything is like, no, unless it's super convenient, ultra easy, one click, I don't want to touch it. You know, Amazon set a standard now. It's like, it's not getting delivered in two hours with one click. I'm not interested, you know? It's, yeah, it's, it's so true. It's so true. It's, uh, and it does, it makes you expect those things because you just become used to it. Mm. And it's one of those things with, uh, with our courses, um, I actually get 
a bit of kickback we, you know we are training professionals qualifying them and i've taken this stance of not spoon feeding people and people get irate <laughs> i'm paying you i'm the customer you do this and i'm like and just literally i will respond someone will say in the student group you know hi there i've got a question about this or martin delivering a lecture on this asking a question and i'll go Remember lecture three, research methods. This is a perfect time for you to go and find that out. And, you know, in that, in this instance, because that is a very specific scenario I'm talking about, he was absolutely fine. But there's other times when you say that to people and they go, I'm the customer, you find it, you're here to work for me sort of thing. And in all different ways, we just will not spoon feed people, you know, in the sign up process, in the, you do this, if you don't do it, that's up to you. Just because I don't want to, I want to almost help people uh, in, in a very non-tangible way to be better. It, you know, when they come to being fully qualified professionals and we go self-employed and they become a nutritionist, the, it's actually a little bit of a life skill of just like, don't expect to be spoon fed. If you want to go far and you want to be successful, you, you can't be spoon fed. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, it, it does, it does upset people sometimes, even if you're just super polite, you're like, I'm not doing this for you. Mm. Um, but yeah, so tech has made us that way. Amazon prime has <laughs> made us that way. If there's one thing Damn to blame, we're going to blame Amazon prime. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah. part. laughs> We'll go after them. Um, okay, so yeah, that's really good. I want to um, then shift a little bit into, I mean, you were talking about how our work has made us a lot in many ways very stagnant. You know, work takes up the majority of people's days um, and then, you know, they find very little time outside of company work and family time and socializing to fit in exercise. And like I was telling you at the start and as all our listeners know, we've opened this new gym uh, we're working specifically with founders, executive partners, um, directors, you know, so all people that, you know, in some instances responsible for billions of dollars in their decisions in, you know, in other instances responsible for hundreds, if not thousands of employees. So super high stress, a um, mm. lot of pressure, a lot of, um, you know, a lot of money on the line, uh, important people and uh, kind of found two groups of them at the moment. Group number one, which is the majority value health and fitness because i think all high high performing individuals tend to not neglect their health whether they're doing a good job or not is another thing but they do recognize that it is important and it's something that if i want to keep being a high performer i know that my mm. body and my system and my raw materials need to be working and in good order and especially as they get a family right they see the responsibility of being around for their kids and then there's this other group which is the group that got it and stuck to it and built the habits very early on and they're almost abnormally fit. They're like, you know, running triathlons and they can do a thousand pull-ups and they got up at 4 a.m. Yeah. and did an ice bath and did seven saunas and, you know, did all their emails, you know, before, before 6 a.m. Um, yeah. But they're the, they're, they're the minority, but both yeah. similar professionally, but one group, both have a health on, uh, sorry, a focus on health and fitness. One group, extremely successful, almost in an in a overdone way, but then another group really struggling um, overweight boozing is a big problem with it. I wanted to know if you got a client like this, um, where do you go in terms of a starting point? I think generally with these kinds of guys, and I'm sure you've worked with them before, obviously personality wise, a lot more, just tell me what to do. I'll, I'll fucking do it. And in most okay. instances, they're a lot better at doing it than the average person, you know, just cause they, ca they carry across the habits from work into their health and fitness. So 
where would you start with someone like this? Mm, yeah, interesting question. So it's so it's so funny when you that you've described them that way. Like I've not been working with clients for uh, maybe five five years now, but it's you've I've literally I've had just like have flashes of people, my old clients, as you've said that, and I'm like, yeah, that's him, that's her, <laughs> and. Um, so where would I start with these? Should I, am I start? Am I basically mainly talking about the ones who maybe are struggling with their health? Yes, yeah, yeah. The, one, not, the, not the guys, hyper ones. Uh, they got those. They're, they're sorted. Cool. Yeah. yeah, they just want a place to train. That's that's cool. And <laughs> yeah, yeah the, the people that are overweight, you know, stressed yeah. out, don't sleep enough, boozing too much, that sort of thing, but ready to make a change. Yeah. So, and I think I'll just take a step back with ready to make a change i do you've you've hit the nail on the head again sometimes family can change something sometimes a degree of success can change something i think with regards to okay i'm going to start looking after myself now because i've done really well here and I, I, I need to be working harder i once had a client say to me i want to be able to function and, uh, and only sleep four hours a day <laughs> And, and then I can work more and this and the other. And I was like, that's not, no, that's not the goal. The goal's not four hours a day. <laughs> um, but that was such a funny scenario. Um, and which, it, which is a funny one because I can function on four hours sleep. I, I think I'm probably one of those 0.1% uh, genetic, the gene where you don't need sleep. But it's not something you can necessarily train into people. But anyway, th this, this market, because you've, because you've mentioned alcohol as well, sometimes with some of these big clients, it was a case of us getting the bloods done, getting the tests done. And it's like, look, this is, this is not good. Uh, and it's, sometimes you can't start there because telling someone they're an, a high functioning alcoholic is, <laughs> is hard. It is hard and people don't want to hear it. And we've had lots of those, but when you have a test, you obviously don't ever say that you don't, you don't say it in the first instance, but when you have a good relationship with someone, it's like, this is an issue. This, you know, you really care about your health. The alcohol is an issue. And when, and because you can show them data, a lot of these people are these blue personality types and, you know, red and blues. Uh, and when you can give them that data and you can show them and like, we can improve this, but we need to adapt alcohol intake for a start but also and so again if they have that level it's you can there's so much to unpack in your question it's a lot of it comes down to that motivational interviewing of just like because you've said they'll just take it but but i'm i guess i'm pushing back a bit on your question in that when we when we you know my staff or i have gone in on the alcohol thing when that because it is a big issue for some and it can really undermine some goals hmm because we understand what alcohol does in terms of inhibitions as well. So they, you know, they can be all, you know, straight down the line. And, the oh, goodness, hold on. That's right. <laughs> Sounds like a state-of-the-art security system there. It, it is, yeah. It's, it's actually linked to my home and it talks to the office. Let me just, sorry. Motion detected. Silent alarm activated. <laughs> <laughs> Gun turrets <laughs> up. Um, so sorry, uh, I need to tell her to. I need to switch her off. So where was it? This uh, the alcohol thing, and uh, what was I saying there? Um, 
getting the data, challenge the the alcohol intake and then the inhibitions with, so they can, you know, you tell them to do something, they do it. They apply those, that habit forming processes. They, they sometimes will have a PA who can also help them. Mm. Um, you know, that's one of those things with myself, with having a PA. It, it does mean I can achieve so much more. It does mean that I'm not good with routine. I'm not good with lots of those kind of things, which, which, you know, other much more successful people than me have all these amazing routines uh, and they've kind of, I remember working with these people five years ago and they're just like boom, boom, boom with this lifestyle, but you can implement them. But when alcohol comes in, it reduces inhibitions and people start forgetting and being lazy with whatever they're doing. If they're trying to achieve a certain goal, get a certain number of protein feedings to, to gain muscle, to recover from the, the new training or uh, eating things that maybe aren't going to be helpful with their calorie deficit if their goal is to lose weight, et cetera. So um, alcohol is, is the big area, but I, I've got this phrase that I use. Um, it's talking about low hanging fruit, excuse the pun. At low hanging fruit is where I feel like a lot of personal trainers new to the industry or nutritionists or health practitioners fall down in that they get something in their head about sleep they and and sometimes it's an age thing and and i'm including myself in this as a younger practitioner pre kids pre running a business or having a full time job pre responsibilities etc and you just think everyone can prepare tupperwares and six meals a day and blah 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 and this is where being an evidence based practitioner can help you because you suddenly realize people don't need to eat six times a day to stoke their metabolism um and when you realize that, you can start to actually work with people in, in the confines of, of what they do. So looking at low-hanging fruit is what is their goal? What is the principle of achieving that goal? So, so the principle of fat loss is being in an energy deficit. The principles around muscle gain, if that was one of their goals, is our progressive overload stuff and, uh, stuff and the, the stimulus from training. And also we can then augment that stimulus through nutritional interventions. But what is the principle and then what within their routine and their lifestyle and their nutrition and their training can I, it, or is happening currently and is taking them the furthest away from moving forward? What can I do first? And uh, unfortunately, sometimes people go, right, we're going to look at sleep and we're going to get you preparing these meals and you really need to focus on and and I've had those clients because they, they, they've got so much money, so, so much expendable income, they want to buy the results. And that's often another discussion around. And I, and I got led in my last sort of three or four clients were these exact individuals you're talking about here. And I didn't really want to work with them. And so I had, and I had some very frank discussions of you're not buying me and you're not buying the results, the, the onus. And this is a conversation really, I should have been having with people my whole career a lot. The onus is on you. The responsibility lies with you. I'm facilitating this process. You can't. And, and by buying the most expensive X, Y, Z, by buying this organic, by having Alaskan salmon, whatever, it's not going to get you the results. By installing these red lights inside your sauna in your bedroom is not going to detox your fat cells and make you lose fat like your last nutritional therapist told you. 
that's an actual conversation um and so we rather than going to all these itty bitty things it's like these people are super busy super important humans in their worlds getting them results with sometimes the minimum impact on what they do is exactly what you need to do mm. and so if you can look I, I when at that time i was like do you know what i might go all in on just me being a practitioner rather than having a business and i was going to call myself a nutritional architect uh, I just came up with it. I was like, do you know what? Because that's what I need. What, that's what I'm doing. I'm looking for the infrastructure I need to create within their life. And I'm being an architect of their nutritional lifestyle. And I'm designing it around their preferences, their goals, and, and them as a human. What can I do with the minimum impact on other stuff um, to get them to where they want to go? So it's focusing on these these low hanging fruits and it, they're different for everyone it could mm. be something as simple as you see this period in the day you see this uh, what was that famous one um it was like a, a unicorn starbucks rainbow latte something or other it, but it was like 1500 calories in one drink and it might just be that they're like yeah i'm having this and you that's these simple and they might enjoy that but it's looking can having the discussion can we change that and instantly they've removed 1500 calories from their diet. Mm. And then you can maybe, and that's all you've done. You do nothing else. But again, you need to motivate them and make them feel like they, they want to feel like they're working hard. They don't want it to feel like it's too easy sometimes. So you do some other stuff that you get them on board with. And oh, look, I'm losing fat. It's so easy. And um, creating stuff that fits into their very busy schedule. Um that you can do. So, so one, one client that I had, he, he didn't have a private jet, but he, he would go first class everywhere. Um, and he was, you know, ex wealthy enough to have a private jet, but for some reason he was traveled. And so he would send me the menus from the first class. And so I was going through and I was just like the types of options you should pick, which was such a strange scenario when it's like <laughs> the caviar and the lobster and this, that, and the other. And, um, we just had some discussions on like, if you're going to choose these options, this is the types of things that you should be considering. And it was just putting in such basic things that he could make simple decisions. He's not carrying Tupperware onto a plane. He's not um, going to not eat, for instance. And it's just going, this is the, this is a little key for you, a little principle. And when you, when you look at this menu, um, it, this is amazing right this this person that i'm talking about is 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 exactly the person you're describing and i said to him so when we look at this we're looking at kind of the fats in foods and the carbohydrates and we we want to consider carbohydrate foods and fat foods and it's just easier for us to consume a lot more calories when we combine them and he said to me What did he say? He said something like, I said, do you know what I mean by carbohydrate foods? And he said, I don't know. And I don't care to know, but I assume you mean things like potatoes. And I was like, wow, what is the most unbelievable statement for, for like you said, just so clever. So and, and you kind of forget that nutrition to them is just it's yeah. not something they've considered i don't care and i don't care to know <laughs> i don't know and i don't care to know but anyway 
so we just I ended up just even simplifying it even further for him mm-hmm. uh, but yeah it's that's that's my kind of crux of my answer to your question is these low-hanging fruits is looking where I can have maximum impact for minimum effort yeah absolutely and I think um I think it's a great principle really for all clients regardless of mm-hmm. how busy or you know how much mm-hmm. money they have it it always comes down to um, cleaning up the the bad habits that everyone has maybe some guy on his rest days burns half the amount of calories he normally does on a training day you know it just sits all day 12 hours a day doesn't doesn't move i've you know had some clients say i look at their whoop scores which is like i don't know if you've heard of the fitness tracker and it's so low on rest days that i just said if you just build 15 to 20 minutes of walking into your routine every day we'll probably start on the fat loss journey because it's just absurdly low on on some days Mm. and it's just simple things like that. But let's say we start knocking off some of the low-hanging fruit, some of the basic stuff, mm-hmm. we get the alcohol under control. And then we start looking at, you know, because, yeah, for a lot of these guys, the calorie deficit conversation, like you said, they don't care to know. And so how am I just kind of building it yeah. in for them mm. and then educating them more along the way? How do I get them fast results now so that I get some buy-in? And one thing I've heard you talk about with your rapid fat loss is I think there's some I guess, mythology around going slow and that some people think that the only way to do it is to go slow and do it a sustainable way. Um, but I, I know you have some different thoughts on rapid fat loss and buying at the beginning. So I'd love to have you kind of share your, your side of things on this. Yeah, cool. So and this, that's also interesting in terms of what you said there um, earlier about they'll often they will do they tell me what to do and i'll do it and i'll implement it and you can do something like a rapid fat loss um protocol and it's always funny i'm more when people ask me this question they're kind of quite polite in terms of whatever you know you've got some different thoughts and i I, i'm just a bit like i'm right and everyone else is wrong and it (laughs) It's I wouldn't not, want to say that, but yeah, it's, it's true. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, it, it's this thing of when people go, okay, in your opinion, it's not my opinion. It's the opinion of the entire body of evidence. It's the empirical data we have. I'm just the, the guy in the middle telling you because no one's bothered to read it ever. Um, and I'm not you know, people start going, Oh, you, I did put on my Instagram story today, you know, you're, and it was actually one of my old students. who said it, but he was like, you're a proponent of, of aggressive fat loss. Does it affect your mood? And I was like, I'm not a proponent. I'm not, I'm not like this Messiah coming and bringing the new truth. It's just the truth. That's always been there. It's all the empirical data, but it's just an option. I'm not saying it's better. I'm not selling a program. I'm not trying to convince people of anything. I'm just telling you what the fact is. And if you don't want to listen, you're an idiot. Mm. And the fact is, is that we know, and it, I understand for people listening, sometimes they, they'll get confused when I say, you know, a 90 kilogram guy, relatively active, doing some training, you know, and this, you know, I, I've done this a few times just to kind of put it on camera, a proof of concept. It's an N equals one. It proves nothing. But again, I'm not proving anything to you. You can go to all of the scientific literature and that tells you what I'm showing you here. And it doesn't suit anyone. That's something to bear in mind. Nothing is a one size fits all. But we know that people, that me eating 900 calories a day, 
versus me eating. And, and, you know, since I've started talking on podcasts and, you know, just people talking about it more and, and I get these messages all the time, Martin, what is this, what was the, this, what is this black magic? I'm starving on 2,500 calories a day in a deficit and I'm eating 1,200 and I have no hunger. You, you know, you're a whatever wizard. It's just what happens. We know it happens. The empirical data, the, the group and the fast fat loss group that are losing 4.4 pounds per week versus the 2.2 pounds per week group average, give or take applied calorie deficits calculated by the researchers to achieve those weight loss goals, have less hunger. The fast group have less hunger than the slow group. It's an enigma, but it's not because we understand that these calorie deficits sit and one of the one of the proposed ways this might be working is ketosis, which we un, there is a long-standing discussion around ketosis and what that does to appetite and why lo- there are lots of proponents of the ketogenic diet out there. So we have this scenario where people are less hungry whilst losing fat at a hugely increased speed. What's one of the major reasons people don't get results or can't stick to diets? Hunger. And people, any diet is lame. Any calorie deficit is fairly lame. You still have to restrict to some extent. You still can't do whatever the hell you like. So I'd rather be in this process. Again, I'm saying I'd rather because not everyone's the same. Get it, get in, get the job done, get amazing results quickly, which from a client's perspective, getting buy-in is a big deal. People often go, oh, when you cut carbs, you just lose water. It's not fat. And some people are just a bit motivated by the scales going down. Whether or not that's a good thing, that's not the discussion. They're losing that fat. You can have a discussion as you coach them. Look, as we add back in carbohydrate, that some of that weight might come back. It's not an issue. It's lean body mass. It's a good thing, blah, blah, blah. Talk about reverse dieting, diet breaks. But if you're just starting to work with a client and they need a bit of a kickstart or whatever, that might be motivating to them. And I'll tell you what's frigging motivating is waking up every day and the scales are lower. You're looking leaner in the mirror and you're less hungry than you normally are. Mm. It's class. And what's even better is knowing that you're not doing yourself any damage. So then people start going, oh, you're damaging your metabolism. You're going to get metabolic damage. Well, then we go to the other literature that talks about that, that shows it doesn't exist. Um, and that people aren't damaging their metabolisms. And, and, you know, I've seen lots of fitness professionals talking about this. Um, and this is, yeah, over the last five years, the industry has changed massively. I've been kind of banging this drum. And, you know, initially people pushing back and discussing it. And, you know, I get sent these YouTube, you know, these people, you know, friends, oh, look at this. I was listening to this podcast and your name came up, I was, which is quite cool. Um, people start discussing, oh, it, you know, this study, slow versus fast rate, the slow rate were able to gain muscle in their deficit. Okay, well, let's look at the study methodology. Okay, well, they dieted for eight weeks, the slow group, and they managed to gain a teeny bit of muscle. Cool. 
the fast group dieted for four weeks. And at that point, their data was used to compare to the eight weeks. Well, that's not fair mm. because I've got four weeks where I could have been in a calorie maintenance or surplus and, let, and test me at eight weeks. And let's see what the difference is. And you can, you know, any normal person can go, yeah, well, obviously it's not fair to compare eight weeks of training versus four weeks of training. It's silly. And then we start, people start comparing the hormonal impact, the fast group um, testosterone. So a, a four week study, fast versus slow. Oh, well, the fast group, their testosterone levels lowered more. Yeah, but they lost twice as much weight because we've compared on time. So what was what were my levels when I was at your body uh, at the four weeks fat loss? Because I'm twice as lean as you are. Yeah, yeah my testosterone levels are going to be slightly lower. But I'm leaner and I can push it my, them back up. So people don't compare like for like because they don't read all the data and they just read stuff to try and support their own um, agenda or opinion or, or save face. I don't have a, any, a dog in the game. There's nothing I could be proven wrong through whatever reason. There's, there's a study which I've been banging on about for ages now. It's now three years post-study and they keep bringing out more data. It's on perimenopausal women or maybe postmenopausal women. And they've, they've it's it, it basically that, so again, people start talking about weight gain is, uh, afterwards, right? Oh, you're going to rebound. You're going to gain all the weight back. No, it doesn't happen. We've got the 12-month data. We've got the 24-month data. We've got the 36-month data in, this, in that study. We've got the five-year and the 10-year data elsewhere. Um, maybe not 10, actually, five that I can think of. But you see, I'm, I'm, I'm talking with my hands now, which isn't helpful for people just listening. But if you imagine the curves, you have a really fast drop down one and then you have other comparisons like a medium drop down and, and a slow drop down and then you stop the dieting phase everyone kind of gains weight, weight back to some extent one degree or another over the following period but you follow up at 12 months 24 months and the, the group that lost the most fat is the one that is better later down the line maybe simply for the fact that they just lost loads more fat in the first place mm. now then we can have the discussion about weight loss maintenance which is a cool discussion but while we're on the subject of you regain the weight all the way and more it's bs that's not happening that's not what the empirical data says so and and in that study that the 36 postmenopausal women i, I can that is annoying i can't remember um, but they've, they've brought out some data on their bone mineral density and they have, they have a significantly worse bone mineral density in the rapid fat loss group. Now, whether that's a, people need to understand the difference between statistically significant and clinically significant. Now, something can be statistically significant. Uh, you know, this person lost half a kilo and this person lost not. 0.3 kilos and that's statistically different and you go is that any different in the real world no it's irrelevant mm. it doesn't look any different doesn't feel any different it doesn't so again we need to understand okay what's the impact of that clinically on these females bone mineral density but likewise this study was not an optimal study as per what you know an mnu certified nutritionist would be doing with someone or you know whoever they weren't doing a decent 
impact training, resistance training, et cetera, that would maybe promote bone mineral density. Yeah. They weren't necessarily optimizing protein intake, blah, 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 right? So straight away, I'm not someone who's going to hide away from that data and go, oh, I was wrong, you know, oh, forget it, it's rubbish. And I'm also not going to just go, oh, I was wrong. We take it for what it is. Okay, it's interesting. And actually maybe rapid fat loss, we can go, do you know what? I would never do rapid fat loss with a pregnant woman. And I'm going to add someone else to that is maybe... Uh, a female who is in a situation where bone mineral density is of extreme importance, which we know around the menopause starts to become a much more um, important factor to consider. So, you know, all these different things, we've got this data, people aren't screwing their metabolisms. They're not getting more hungry. They're not getting more eating disordered in their eating. That's another thing that people come back. Oh, you're going to give people eating disorders. No, incorrect. Where's the data for that? Doesn't exist. Good. Get lost. Um, you know, it's like, don't, don't come at me with these, these reasons that it's no good. Just like provide some data or just shut your mouth and listen and learn. Hmm. Um, so it's a super cool strategy to have in your toolbox to consider. It is not for everyone. And also people doing it half-hearted is just the one thing for your listeners I will will mention. Oh, I'm going to drop to 1,800 calories, 1,500 calories, 1,200 calories. If I diet on 1,200 calories, 12 or 1,400 calories-ish, I'm super hungry. It's not until I'm in the 1,200, 1,100, 1,900 realm where I just have no hunger. So just something for people to bear in mind, to play with, um, to understand on this topic mm. you know what's interesting as well like as i'm hearing you talk about the rapid fat loss thing is i think a lot about what is the optimal training while doing it as well mm. i think that there's definitely a, probably some training methodologies that don't really suit it as well because yeah it's almost like crossfit. Certain... <laughs> you don't exactly. do crossfit exactly. everything i've just said there definitely don't do crossfit no there's 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 a certain demand that you can place on your body um, that you probably shouldn't. And I think that there's almost like the harder you train with more intensity, especially when you bring in like a cardiovascular component, you add in a long run, that's really intense. If you add in a super high intensity workout, pushing 10, 15, 20, 30 minutes, people almost, and I've seen it in myself and I've seen it in all kinds of athletes as well. The harder you train, the harder you just want to kind of reward yourself and binge afterwards. Whereas you may not necessarily be that hungry, but it's just from the intensity of the training, you almost are trying to like reward yourself with food. So it's like, if you can keep the training at a pretty reasonable level during a rapid fat loss phase, obviously you need training and all would be optimal. Then you won't feel like when you finish, like I am so obliterated. Whereas my, you know, super 1000 calorie protein shake all my supplements, that sort of stuff. And kind of undoing all the all the rapid fat loss dieting that you're doing if you're just training is just mm. a reasonable amount and you kind of walk out you're like oh it's pretty tough but it's good i did my workout today a bit of a light sweat you're gonna put yourself in a more favorable position mm. and that is something that i try and get across to people that it's not the time to be looking to build muscle or make progress in the gym or get fitter necessarily that's one of the nice things about it. It can be done in a very short period of time, 10, 15 days, um, you know, as a, as a bit of a blitz. And people always overdo the volume. They, what the, the thing that I would say for any coaches out there who understand recovery, 
and over and kind of if we talk about terms like overreaching rather than overtraining but if you're pushing someone into realms of overreaching or just sessions that are taxing recovery immediately you're out of the realms of where aggressive dieting becomes as appropriate you you really want to be dialing stuff back to complete maintenance levels you can still lift extremely heavy which we probably want to do to promote muscle retention. I say probably, that's actually incorrect. Some people probably want to, if it's a goal. Others don't have that goal. But those of you that do, athletes, et cetera, I think is where my mind went, probably are going to want to try and retain lean body mass. So if that is your goal, we want to lift heavy, but we're not trying to push anything. We dial back the number of sets. We stay one away from failure, maybe. And as you've kind of said there, gone, I've worked, but I'm not obliterated. And in the days following that, as you've said, people tend to, you know, appetite will be upregulated with with different forms of exercise to different uh, magnitudes. And that's also something for people to understand in themselves, uh, it's there's the psychological impact of wanting to reward yourself as you've mentioned uh, and there's also the physiological impact of impact on you know gut hunger hormones uh unfortunately we're all quite different it's very very murky in the data on what whether cardio's cardiovascular is best or high intensity interval training is best or resistance training is best neat just walking kind of trumps most things in terms of not having this impact so that's something that's definitely worth considering your steps and and paying attention to during these fat loss phases but you're 100 percent right in not just don't you know don't do crossfit if you're going to try and lose fat quickly you're just going to have to do the slow and steady thing or take a period where you're going to dial stuff back, focus on maybe a strength block for, you know, two weeks. Um, try not to go crazy that you're not doing all your CrossFit shizzle. Uh, but yeah, so it is important to factor in what your exercise is like if you do attempt something like that. And um, just to give people rough guides, because I imagine some people listening to this might want, want to go and try it for themselves or for their clients. Do you normally mm. hit a roughly like a 50% as the as kind of the starting point of of maintenance calories to as like rapid fat loss realm and then the next kind of say they were in it for 30 days and the next 30 days afterwards do you kind of say okay add 20 percent? do you have a rough framework for that or do you just let you know let sort of the individual figure it out as they go yeah um i'll give some uh they're not exact (laughs) The hesitancy um, is palpable. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because people, you know, I'll say something and people go, Martin McDonald says this is the exact amount. And therefore, and right. people go fight on the internet and then I'll get messages from people going, apparently you said this, what's that based on? So um, do, do people use kilos or pounds more in Australia? Use kilos. Kilos, right? kilos yeah, yeah. Yeah, cool. Yeah. Okay, you're normal. Yeah. Um, all, the Austra- all the American listeners will have to... to kind of adapt so um you're looking at uh, the extreme is like eight 
this is extreme, right? So don't go and do this. <laughs> also, I will just say, uh, well, you can do it, but it's, um, I'll just say, like, it's a bit of a disclaimer. This, the, our industry is rife with eating disorders and, and disordered eating. And so just look after yourself and your clients, everyone. So um, it's not that this is going to lead to an eating disorder either. Anything like orthorexia and stuff like that, it's not obviously a recognized eating disorder as such. Well, it, yeah, I, I'm not going to go down that route. But anyway, you you can cause these issues through just a hyper-focus on anything. It's not necessarily the amount of deficit. It's not correlated in the research to what's happening. But it's just, again, uh, just look after people. So 8 to 10 calories per kilogram body weight is like the is the extreme. Like 8 is extreme, 10 is obviously slightly less extreme and the the answer is what you said about the person does need to work it out for themselves because as soon as exercise comes into play it starts put it can push these boundaries massively and not even just exercise but you know non-exercise non-physical activity thermogenesis and and just non-exercise so just general walking will impact it to some extent so that I'm giving you the extreme end probably don't go much lower than that. You're going to obviously, I say, obviously, I imagine most of it's obvious for your listeners. Obviously most of those calories are going to be coming from protein esque sources. So, and, and not, you know, the, the industry is a bit hyper, you know, protein's amazing. You must have protein, protein, this, you know, more protein, the better, uh, 2.5 grams per kilogram, you know, is like a minimum almost these days. But like 1.5, 1.6 is a great amount to be hitting. Mm-hmm. Um, with more moderate de- deficits, you know, p- people coming to me going, my client's getting amazing results, but they just won't eat pr- enough protein. And I'm like, sorry, say that again. Yeah, my, my client's getting amazing results no hunger, recovering well, but they just won't eat enough protein. I'm like, why do you not hear the words coming out your mouth? Why does it matter? Why are you trying to get them to eat more protein? Well, because you're supposed to. They're supposed to be eating 1.8 to 2.2. No, they're not. That's a guideline to help them get results. <laughs> Think about this. Just like screw your head back on. So, um, yeah, like people, you can get great results. 1.2 is, is 1.2 in the literature is a high protein diet because it's 150% of the guidelines. Mm-hmm. Um, and you see people getting great results with a high protein government guideline, 1.2 grams per kilogram diet. So, yeah, you're going to be wanting to get most of your calories from protein. Um uh, not most, sorry, a significant proportion around this 1.5 plus, you know, if you want to go for two, fantastic. If you want to go for whatever, go for it. Um, fats and carbs, irrelevant, uh, you know, go for whatever suits you. If you are training, maybe carbohydrates going to be a better option, but if you, you know, you're not getting many carbohydrates with eight to 10 <laughs> calories per kilogram. So let's, let's be frank. Um, the the last point I want to make on your question is Was it coming out of the, the deficit? That's that was the second part of my question. Uh it wasn't, so we'll go there in a minute. <laughs> it it was still about choosing these levels where you sit, you said, do they pick the number? They pick these calories. 
Ah, okay. So I just want to make this point because I imagine you've got a lot of people who are probably quite lean who listen to your podcast and things start to change a little bit just with regards to if their goal is performance, if their goal is to gain muscle, I imagine you have some sort of bodybuilding following that, that listen, there is a maximum rate of fat loss that is the maximum appearance of energy to be oxidized to as energy to be burned and the maximum rate of appearance of fatty acids into the blood is limited by the amount of fat that you have uh i don't we're actually considering buy a dexa scanner for our office um because we just think it'd be flipping cool to have one and um once you've got a DEXA scanner, you can do stuff like this. And we want to maybe start publishing some, some research ourselves. Once you have your body fat percentage, you can do some cool stuff. But using a half decent estimate or going and get a DEXA scan or, you know, going and getting, you know, another method for assessing body fat and being careful with you know, understanding the inaccuracies within it. If you divide your body fat percentage, let's say you're 15% body fat, so you're relatively lean. If you divide it by 15, which is a figure I've come up with, there's different numbers out there. Um, that will give you the, per the percent of your body weight that you can lose per week purely as fat without losing lean body mass so you're 15 percent, or let's say you're 30 percent. let's say you've got more body fat but what i want the reason i wanted to say that is because for some of your leaner clients uh, or listeners and, and clients it's just bearing in mind that your rate of maximal fat loss is lower than someone with higher yeah. body fat so this person who's 30 percent body fat who weighs 250 pounds i use like numbers 100 kilograms let's say 220 pounds 30% body fat, um, divide 30 by 15 and you get two. They can lose 2% of their body weight a week. 2% of 100 kilograms is fortunately two. You can see why I've used easy numbers here. So two kilograms or 4.4 pounds per week of pure fat. Now you get, you know, people in the industry going, you know, you lose half a pound to a pound, you know, you know, half a kilo to maximum a kilo a week. But it's not true. We can lose two kilograms off that person, which isn't, you know, isn't a hugely fat person, 100 kilograms, 30% body fat. That's not someone who's hugely fat. Mm. Um, they can be losing at two kilograms of pure fat. So, so then we can start going, okay, well, what's that as a deficit? Okay, two kilograms of fat as a deficit is 15,400 calories deficit that we need to create from somewhere. And then we can start working that back in terms of what's roughly our expenditure and what's roughly our intake or, you know, I say roughly because we're incredibly bad at uh, reporting our calories as humans. Um, so it, this, hopefully that starts to kind of build a picture for people of, okay, this is how it works. And, and that, that starts to then give us a picture of like, okay, where am I creating this deficit from? Um, how often might I need to refeed? How low can I go with my, et cetera, et cetera. So that's that. And then how do you come out of this? It doesn't matter is really the crux of the answer. 
if you've done it right, if you've done it and, and, you know, I would encourage people if they do this to go look up my work on it of like, you're not doing this to punish yourself. You're not doing this because you can still eat, you know, when I'm doing, I'm still eating sweets and I'm still eating tasty foods here and there during this aggressive deficit. And I'll have, you know, I'll be five days into an aggressive deficit and I'll feel like eating at maintenance. I'll feel like having a pizza and I'll have it and I'll have the conversation with myself and I won't turn around and go to, Oh, I had a binge last night on some pizza. Cause it's not a binge. I've just eaten some food that I like, but we have, we do this stupid stuff in the fitness industry of start you know, it's binge or it's unclean or I shouldn't have it. And it's just like, no, I'm a human being and I really fancied some pizza and I'm not going to, or, you know, people going, oh, I was going to go on a date and I didn't go because, you know, she wouldn't go to a restaurant with calories on the menu, you know, whatever. Because <laughs> um, <laughs> none of those exist. <laughs> <laughs> so um, it's understanding that afterwards people go, oh, what about all the regain, the weight regain, the rebound? That's the word everyone uses, the rebound. I'm like, there's no such thing as a rebound. What? Where's this rebound coming from? Oh, because people just start binging. Well, no, they don't. People, you, what are you talking about? People just start binging. You've seen someone. Well, no, I'm not talking about someone. I'm talking about me. Oh, cool. You have eating issues. You need to sort that out. It's not this that's causing that. It's what something that you are perceiving in the way you eat. Your, your perception is that you're just restricting and you want to binge. Therefore, you probably shouldn't be doing any sort of diet. You need to get your relationship with food right. Mm. So how should you come out of it? Whatever you want. Go back to maintenance, obviously. Um, you can go into a surplus. You can do whatever. Obviously, if you've lost significant weight, calorie maintenance levels will not be the same as they were before. They will have changed. Um, but you can jump back to whatever your new maintenance is and take it from there with regards to your goals. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That's, that's good. I, I'm, I'm glad you uh, spent some time and outlined that for people. Hopefully it's clear. <laughs> the, um, I think where the rebound thing comes from is I reckon you look at the number of hits on some of these videos of the YouTubers and the influencers, right. That, that bring their audiences in some cases, millions of people into a, a weight loss journey and, and uh, sorry, a journey to the stage, right. Uh, my next bodybuilding mm. prep or whatever. And they are dieting down so extreme and they obviously have a bit of a twisted personality in some ways to get on stage in your underpants, which mm -hmm. I'm sure you would appreciate and understand and know as well. But yeah, of course, the first thing they're going to do for their own, you know, just uh, entertainment and then the entertainment of their audience is go, okay, what is going to be the massive cheat meal that I'm going to have? Yeah. So people naturally yeah. assume, well, this guy who looks really good, who's a genetic freak, who mm -hmm. cut really long he rebounded hard after which he only really just had one meal or two meals or a day of crazy eating. But then he probably went back to some kind of maintenance thing. They just automatically think, well, that's what happens. You just do these crazy yeah. cuts and then you just go out and you eat these massive cheat meals. Well, no, it's either that yeah. or like you said, you have a problem with eating. You have an eating disorder that you need to figure out. Hmm. Yeah. And, and lots of those people do have, it's an unfortunate thing uh, that people lie and hide their disordered or eating or eating disorders, you know, on their YouTube or their Instagram or wherever. Mm. And, and it leads other people astray, which is really unfortunate. Uh, 
and lots of our industry have this issue sadly because they need to look a certain way for whatever their income or um and they've probably been misled by some of the forefathers of the nutrition industry who were crap let's be honest Mm. um and left you know just left people in in like not a great way so yeah it's a it, comparing the bodybuilding end result to the end result of what us no- mortals and normal people do is just silly, but you're exactly right. That's the extreme people get the views and the hits and the, mm. and therefore, Oh, how often do I need to have a cheat meal? Like, Oh my goodness. What a question. How often do you cheat on your wife? <laughs> you know, just like once a week, what t- once a month, how often, how do you gauge it? Like what? Sh- but it's, you know, it's, I'm saying it nastily. I, uh, I was fully taken on board by these cheat meal things when I was competing in, in natural bodybuilding and it was, it's crap and it screwed my relationship with food. Mm. So I'm not, you know, lots of people out there, I'm not saying it with judgment. I've made all the mistakes there are to make. Um, I just hope you'll be teachable like I was and come to this sort of place of like, yeah, they don't, they don't boost your metabolism. They don't do all that stuff that people tell you they do. They're not a great thing. Stop using the word cheat mm. uh, when it comes to food. Yeah. It's a, it's a weird, uh, weird word. It still somehow hangs around, but um, mm. right. Before we jump into the final four questions, Martin, I know it's getting late there for you, but the one question I wanted to ask you, and I know obviously you're a part of this industry anyway, but um, maybe it hasn't been done, maybe it has been done, or maybe it could be done differently. But is there a s- single, and this is something that I always think about, um, and we can, we can give the, uh, the caveat here that you don't need supplements necessarily, but is there a supplement that you think uh, doesn't exist or uh, hasn't been done well enough uh, or hadn't, hadn't really been done well enough? Maybe it has been, maybe it needs to be a little better, a single supplement out there that you would like to see uh, become more popular. Maybe it does exist, it's just not popular at all. No one really takes it. Um, is that, yeah, that one kind of thing that you're like, wow, I would just, I just wish there was like a better hydration product out there because people, our, our water is so shit, or maybe, you know, I just wish there was a better quality tasting protein or something out there. I don't know. Is there, is there a supplement out there you feel like is missing, or maybe we don't have the technology to kind of build it just yet that would be really helpful for, you know, kind of gen pop and it would be good if it existed in stores, um, a bit more often because yeah, supplements is everyone wants to take supplements, you know, first thing mm. they do when they start training, what supplements do I take? I'm like, mm. What about less alcohol? No, no, no. What supplements do I take? <laughs> <laughs> what about creatine? Like, okay. um, yeah. Uh, yeah. For any particular goal with what you, with your question or. Yeah. I realize it's always contextual, but I think that, you know, there are some supplements that obviously, uh, have more applications than others. So like, obviously when you mm. take zinc that has less applications than when you take a protein powder, for example. Yeah. Um, yeah. What a question. Wow. Like, because it's like things that are done well, like, you know, what, what's the most broad spectrum supplement, probably vitamin D, maybe omega-3 fish oils epa type dpa stuff but those things exist but people still aren't using them enough or aware of them enough i suppose in the general population like the levels of deficiency of vitamin d are astronomical across the world like even in australia where you're all naked all the time (laughs) um people are deficient in vitamin d i don't know your experience of australia it's not been my experience (laughs) 
Oh, really? When yeah. I was there, everyone seemed to be naked. I don't know if that was just the effect I had. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, no, but, it, you know, you, you, it's nice weather, right? It's mm. lo- lots of the time in Sydney. And the, the problem being is that people wear sun cream because of the issues with skin cancer. But then we're not making enough vitamin D because you can't make vitamin D very well through... Um, sun cream uh, or at all sorry and then likewise there's actually only specific hours of the day where you make vitamin d even if it's hot even if in your direct sunlight you're not making vitamin d if the sun isn't at the right angle with the atmosphere and in australia because of where you are with the latitude it your, your time periods of actual vitamin d day taking time versus if you're more towards the equator are actually much less so yeah you've got super nice weather but you, you, the sun's rays are not at that s- spectrum where you're making vitamin D. So it's funny. It's like, yeah, there is vitamin D out there and it's really vitamin D3 is super well absorbed. Um, I would love to see more research around vitamin D and then the, the necessity or the impact of... S- people always say when I talk about vitamin D, oh, should I take vitamin K? And I'm like, mm, maybe, maybe not. Like the, the research just isn't that strong. Uh, what kind of vitamin D, what, uh, vitamin K, what, what's your, what does your diet look like? Are you getting plenty of vitamin K in your diet? Therefore, it might not be a limiting issue. And then there's also the combination of magnesium with it. I'd like to see some studies that stratified subjects by by sort of magnesium vitamin K status and therefore supplemented the vitamin D because some people are supplementing with vitamin D3 at decent doses and their levels aren't increasing very much. And we know there's interactions with body fat because we can store the vitamin D3 in our body fat. Therefore that's impacting results, but people aren't getting the same outcome with the same dose of vitamin D3, which means the best thing you can do. And if you're working with clients, that will do this is get their levels tested and supplement specifically based on those. And you get happy clients with, who are getting these optimal results because vitamin D is, has such a huge impact on so many areas in terms of mental health, physical health, you know, fat loss, bone health, um, muscle function even. So it's that, you know, that's going to be my answer is someone needs to come up with a, the, do the research so we understand it a bit more but then some sort of super supplement which is like d3k and magnesium at a really specific ratio which probably would never exist like you, i'm going to use the caveat of like oh we might not have the technology but someone needs to come up one day with that technology um and broad spectrum cheap testing for everyone uh that's my answer to it. the probably one of the hardest questions i've ever been asked on a podcast <laughs> Yeah, we started with the obesity epidemic and we're finishing with it. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah. you're welcome. <laughs> yeah. Thanks. Um, Thanks. But yeah, the, uh, I, I definitely, the, for people wondering what the sunlight hours are, I'm pretty sure I had an, a friend of mine had an app for this once. And I think it's like, mm. you know, it's like 6.30, I think it's like 6.30 a.m. to like 7.30 a.m. It's like an hour or so. It's like not wow. long. And I think it's in the morning. I think it would explain why when people go on holidays, you know, besides lots of different reasons, but they end up, you know, going to a beach house, it's pretty common in Australia and they get up and they go for a surf or they go to the beach for a swim as the sun is rising and obviously replenishing all this vitamin mm. D after they've spent the last, you know, 800 days in a row going from apartment to car park to office to car park yeah. to home. 
you know, on repeat to getting to the beach yeah, once every now and then. Uh, and they feel so good. So yeah, there's, yeah. there's, there's, there's a lot I think it will change as well based on the time, the, the, the time of year as well. So there, there is an app that people can use called Dminder. I don't know if it's free anymore. It was for a lot of the pandemic, interestingly. Um, but Dminder, mm. how to get your D. So yeah. Yeah, right. Interesting. Um, okay. So Martin, uh, final four questions. So the first question we always ask, I know you have a podcast. I know it's not interview based, but if you were to bring someone on and interview them, uh, who is someone that you want to speak to that is alive today that if you did sit them down, they'd answer anything you want openly and honestly, uh, who do you choose and why? Do I have to particularly like them or it's just because I, they're going to be completely honest. So I get whatever, to ask them anything. Whatever that answer is for you, you don't have to like them at all. You okay. can hate them. In cool. Okay, cool. Because the first person I went to, this isn't my answer, was Jordan Peterson. I'm not sure if you're aware of him. I am very much aware uh, Okay, cool. Yeah. Okay. So I've not read any of them, but I just think he's class. I think he's super, super clever. Um, I don't necessarily agree with everything he says. I just think he's insanely clever and insanely well read. And uh, this will sound big headed now, but I'm like, I see, I see him as someone that I'm like in the nutrition industry, but that's, that's not, I just see similar elements of how much he has a passion for reading stuff. Front, he, he uses this phrase. I've read everything front to back. Um, but it's my actual answer is Joe Wicks. Do you know who Joe Wicks is? Yeah, he's the uh, body coach. Is that? Yeah, that's that him. Yeah, yeah, the body coach. <laughs> so <laughs> he's my answer, right? Because I, I called him out in 2015 and it kind of went, uh, there was a bit of a stir, a bit of a craze around it. And loads of people who follow me now are like, that big thing. I called out this Australian girl, Ashy Bins or Ashy yeah, Bynes. Ashy Bynes, yeah, yeah. And loads of people followed me because of her. I call it Ashy Bins because it's funnier. Um, I actually, when I was in Sydney, I actually put a bin on stage and kicked it off and was like, all right, Ashy. Anyway, um, so <laughs> it's a really academic talk, as you can tell. Yeah. Um, but the just because, and in fact, he's had a kid recently and his wife put, three stories of his kid on her story and she used a gif you know gifs on instagram that you can yeah. stick i have my own gifs and she used my gif on the story it was the kid jumping in a puddle and it was my gif which is like slapping your face or something or whatever and loads of people sent it to me like your arch enemy's wife has put your gif on her thing like that like, arch arch enemy are you kidding me um <laughs> But anyway, within within like a short period of time, that one that had my GIF on out of three had vanished, the middle video. And I was like, oh, I just, I, I'm so intrigued. At, you know, he, he, him or his social media team have blocked me. This guy's uber famous, astronomically famous and rich and successful. And I, I do, I'd love to have a sit down conversation with him and be like, because I'm interested in, not, I think he's a good person. Like, you know, deep down, I think he's, he's good. But I just have questions around his integrity. You know, so many people have failed with his plan. And I just want to go like, did you, you know, what's the deal, man? Like you went around telling people that they needed to exercise less and eat more to lose fat. That was your slogan. Do you think that was a good idea? I'd love, these are the, I'd ask him these difficult questions 
you know, I wouldn't have to do it on a podcast. I wouldn't have to, you know, like Joe, if you ever listen to this, right? I just want to have this conversation in private. I'll never tell anyone. I just want to know, you know, it's just one of these things that just niggles at you. I think, you know, if I did get given this opportunity, I want to know, did, were you, to me, he seems like he was out there for the money, but he's obviously a very small cog in what became the body coach brand. So I think his brother is involved and there'll be shareholders and whatever, and they're making millions and millions and millions. And just like, did you want it to stop, but you just couldn't because you were too far gone? Mm. Um, I, you know, I've worked with celebrities before and I got to know them and I sort of felt like I got on with them and they were friends. And then, you know, celebrities on, on his similar level. And then, you know, I see six months, 12 months, whatever down the line, they're just selling out. And, and, you know, in their cases, they're just kind of caught up. They have an agent, they need to, whatever, you know, I'm there going, you know what, we could really help people using your name with, with, with what you found out, you know, it's not all about these pills and potions and detoxes, you know, it could really help people. And then a year later, they're basically the English version of Gwyneth Paltrow. I don't know what, I don't know what nationality she is, but you know, she's a joker and whatever, all the crap that she pushes. So anyway, that's my answer. Mm. Joe Wicks. The body so, coach. so Joe Wicks said, cause I, I actually, besides knowing who he is, um, his thing was exercise less and eat more. That was his prescription. Did I hear he, you say that he, right? He basically, it was his advertising campaign. Yeah. He put on buses all over London. Eat, ex, eat more, exercise less was his slogan, which essentially he's saying eat more, guess good food. But it's just this thing of like, you know, just, he still, he basically still had a very carb phobic plan. You weren't allowed carbs. You can only eat them after doing a hard exercise session and he's basically saying don't do loads of cardio do my hit sessions um there was just so many inaccuracies it was so nutritionally terrible you know his he had this recipe book which was there's this one which someone calorie counted and sent to me and i posted about it was like serves one chicken chorizo meal zero carb but chicken chorizo it was 1200 calories for one meal for one person and I was like, that's not, that must serve four. They're like, no, it's in his fat loss book. So, it, you know, he, he's basically saying do hit. And, you know, and he, had, he, he said, I, I did this other one. It was like real food burns fat, not dust. And he's basically saying, don't, you know, he's just, he was calling out, I suppose, crappy fad, low calorie diets, which do exist. You know, I've talked about low calorie diet, but there's so much more to what I've discussed here. It's still, you're still looking at good nutrition. It's not, I'm not saying get this sachet, which is a hundred calories and drink three of them a day, yeah. which is kind of what he was talking about. These dust diets that people, and it's not the diet, it's the mentality that people are going into and the lack of support and whatever that's yeah. really screwing them. But again, he just said so much stuff like he's, he's, he was a personal trainer for five minutes and then he's a multi, multi-millionaire. And now in the UK, he's being, it, they're talking about letting him sit on panels with regards to public health. Oh no. Yeah. Interventions. Oh, no. And I actually got sent a, a, this is funny. We're having this discussion. I got sent a screenshot by a friend today and from a private group and they're discussing him. And in the comments threads, it was like, they need to get this guy out and get you know, and, so, and someone said, you know, who would be good? Martin McDonald. He seems really balanced and evidence-based and critical thing. Blah, blah, blah. He'd, he'd have the public's best. And they sent to me and said, look, you're being discussed. And I was like, you know, that's super humbling. Um, I don't know how good I'd be, but I'd be flipping better than him just because I'd sit and listen and think 
and I've got a qualification and, and, you know, 10 times longer experience in this industry. And, you know, people go, oh, you're jealous. I'm, like, I'm not jealous. I'm not like, it's, I've achieved everything I want to in the industry. And they're like, oh, he's made so much money. You're not going to make him earn less. I don't care. Like, you know, the, who's Pablo Escobar, the cocaine guy, he had a lot of money. Like, doesn't make him a good person um, or whatever. Anyway, so he'd be my guy because I just want to talk to him. I think deep down he's a good human being. But what happened? What went wrong? Uh, It'll be interesting. Yeah. It's always interesting with those sorts of scenarios. Um, yeah. Okay. So second question, is there some, some kind of routine habit, something you try and do each day that's like kind of makes it onto your to-do list um, mentally or even physically that, you know, you want to get done that makes you feel like, okay, at least I got that done today. The day's successful. I'm a little bit more fulfilled. Uh, what is the thing for you mm. at the moment? <laughs> Honestly, there is absolutely nothing. I am the least routine person I know. Uh, and I, 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 you know, I'm racking my brain. There's nothing. There's nothing. You know, someone go to me, well, what about brushing your teeth then? No, I don't even have a routine for that. You know, people are like, oh, you got such great, great teeth. You have a, you must have a great dental routine. No, I'm terrible. Um, yo, you must do a gratitude journal every day. Because you know that that keeps you happy. No, I think gratitude's great. I tr I do try and do gratitude occasionally. I have no routine. I have no nothing. Like I got <clears throat> my PA hates me because I'm so bad. Uh, I don't even get my to do list done every day, and I have it sectioned like day tomorrow. She does it all, and I just don't follow it. I just can't do routine. I have no set bedtime routine. Last night I went to bed at 3 a.m. The night before I went to 4 a.m. I was up at eight one day. I was up at, I have no routine. And I think the thing I for your listeners, right, is just understanding that sometimes fitting into these optimals, I try and be normal. I, I go through these periods of like, I'm going to wear my blue blocker glasses. I'm going to have good sleep hygiene. I'm going to live a normal life. I'm going to stop going to bed at 4 a.m. And I'm going to start, doing this and it'd probably be better for relationships in the future and this that and the other it's been the thing in my past relationships it's just like just come to bed i'm like i can't sleep they're like you can you just need to get in a routine i'm like i can't i've changed for over a decade trying to be normal i don't work i don't know why anyway so but but people going you need routine you know the best ceos in the world i'm not uber successful but i'm relatively successful um and I don't have good habits. I don't have a routine. I don't have a, none of this. And I make it work. I maybe could be better, but I make it work and I'm happy with the way it is uh, for now. So anyway, it's a, it's a crappy answer to your question, but it's honest. No, I like it because um, I think I've felt that way as well for a lot, of way, a lot of different reasons. And it's refreshing when you hear people, like you said, that have relative success, that you don't need to fit into the Jocko Willink 4 a.m. wake up, you know, take a photo of your watch. Yeah. That's 3.55, got everything done yeah. before the sun rose. You're like, well, that sounds awful yeah. to me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, it, yeah. It, and, but, you know, like, oh, the early bird gets the worm and you know, if you wake up, you'll be better and, you know, you'll die earlier if you don't do this and blah, blah, blah. And I'm just like, whatever. I'm happy living the way I do. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, as long as you get done what you need to get done, the important stuff, mm. then 
moving the needle, then um, however you do it, I don't think it really matters yeah. too much, to be honest. Um, okay, so uh, third question. Uh, what is something recently that you changed your mind on that for a while you held as a strong belief, which I'm sure in your practice and in your field happens on a very regular basis? Well, what comes yeah, to mind? Interesting. Um, the thing I would say, you've put the word recent in there, which adds another caveat, but because over time, yes, I will just say that there's so many things I've believed or not questioned and just done and then realize you know what you know you must eat breakfast to lose weight and and must the whole six meals a day like i I built my career on a lot of myth busting stuff um but but the thing i would say and this is going away from nutrition right is that choosing health is not a moral choice. It's something that probably over the last year or two or three, I've been talking a bit more about. And uh, and I've just thought of another one, maybe as well. The idea that everyone can, so I'm going to give you two answers, that everyone can get to the BMI 25 or below uh, and that that should be their, their goal or whatever. I just don't think that is the case for a lot of people. And, and if we've got out of this idea of like trying to get them to this, you know, at least to the upper end of healthy range. And, you know, that'd be a good result for people. There are people on this planet who will never get there and stay there. And that should never be their goal. Um, but I suppose the morality thing is, again, my my thinking and, you know, I, I love nutrition. I'm so passionate about nutrition, but I have started being a lot more philosophical in my life. Um, just, I think it's again, hitting a period in your life, a time in your life, a level of success in your life, whatever, then the amount of influence I have on different people in my life, get more philosophical, more time to just this metacognition thinking about thinking and that health is not a moral choice. So I think in our industry, there's often this idea that you should be healthy. It's a, you're morally superior if you choose to look after yourself. And I think people will probably be challenged to hear me say that I think that's incorrect. And I think if they think about it long and hard enough, that they'll come to the same conclusion in that we know morality is a very individualized thing. People go, how can you not be vegan? You're immoral. And you go, well, I don't, that's not my set of morals. And people need to be respectful of that. And people start going, yeah, but if you don't eat in a certain way and you don't exercise in a certain way, you'll, you, then you don't deserve, if you're obese, you don't deserve treatment because you chose to do that to yourself. Now, then we can go like, is obesity a choice? Is obesity a disease or not? Like, no, it's not a choice. Yes, it is a disease based on definitions. Um, but, but then, okay, smokers, do you not then treat them for lung cancer? Well, no, you shouldn't. Okay, cool. You chose to do F1 driving and you chose to do downhill skiing and you chose to do CrossFit. You don't get any surgery for your broken, whatever, rotator cuff through doing CrossFit or dropping a bar on your face. You're crazy people. Um, you don't get treatment for crashing a car and you don't get treatment for breaking your leg, going down the hill, ACL. It's They're not inherently healthy things to do. We're pushing our bodies to extremes and we might hurt ourselves. And so you don't choose necessarily those extreme sports or whatever because they're healthy, um, but they're seen as like you should get treatment, but the obese person shouldn't. 
Um, and likewise, people start then going, oh, you know, but you're costing taxpayers money. And it's like, oh, when was the last time you petitioned about something else? It's just like, you don't sit awake at night and go, where's, where's taxpayers money going? It's like, again, maybe we shouldn't, you know, people are getting injured doing X, Y, Z. Maybe we shouldn't be doing that. Maybe that's taking taxpayers money. Um, so it's just, it's, it's just a funny one. I know it's a bit off key with, with maybe the question and what people might normally answer. I don't, I don't know what people normally answer, but it's just something that I've thought about trying. I've tried to be a, a much less judgmental human being in every area of my life for a long time now. And and really, really challenging myself, like seeing a pregnant mother smoking and judging her a mother to be and going, am I right to be judging her? Like, I'm not, I, you know, I wouldn't ever say anything. I'm a pleasant human being, but as in, I'm like, I've struggled, you're hurt. But then I have this whole thing of you can't choose something in your life and hurt someone else. And I don't, so that's, I've used that one because it's an extreme example. I feel like you can do whatever you want to do. Like people take recreational drugs and it's like, and, and no, in the fitness industry, recreational drugs, um, steroids or, or, or rec, you know, recreational drugs, people use them and no one really judges them. And that's fine. But someone else, drug of choice is whatever, fast food. Um, and, and they think they can judge people. So I think for me, it's just like, yeah, it's been a paradigm shift with being a less judgmental human and also understanding that health is not the only choice you don't have to choose health and if someone does then fantastic and great and that's i the reason i want someone to choose health is because i feel like they can get more out of their life because of it and i want it for them but not for me and not because i'm better than them because i do um but you know that they'll get to get more out of their life and life is so precious and short so i think that's it's a funny answer i understand but that's that's what i'm going with Mm, no, I think it's a great answer. I love that you brought that up. I think like it takes experience. It takes working with clients. It takes, you know, years out educating people and on the floor and just time to, I think, realize that people, you can only help people that want your help. And if we're in mm. a, if we're in an industry, if we're in a position, you know, whether you're an educator or you're an influencer or you're a coach or a PT whatever it might be, you're in a position where you're saying, you know, what I do is I'm going to help you with health related things. And you put your hand up, you start to realize that because you love it so much and you want to help everyone, you want to go and push it out there on people that yeah. aren't ready to hear it and don't want it, you know? And the easy mm. example for a lot of people is like their parents, right? They're like, oh, my parents, mm. have I'll go help <laughs> mom lose weight. And then you start going on about all this stuff. But if anything, you turn her off it more and you just yeah. eventually, no matter how many times you have to learn the lesson over and over is that, you know, do your thing, do the best thing in the world. And then if people are ready and they want to they get healthy and they have to be ready to get healthy and ready to change, and that is when you're useful. But any, if someone's not ready, then mm. there's no fucking point. There's no point trying. Mm. And if they never want to care, they never want to care. That's on them. Like, there's nothing you can do. You can't force it on them. I'll just, it won't work, you know? Agreed. Yeah. It's like people that love, I don't know. I'm, you're a guy that loves cars. I love cars as well. Some people see cars, they see a Lamborghini, they go, so stupid. Such a yeah, dumb thing. Yeah, what a waste of money. Go, yeah. What do you mean? That's the most beautiful thing I've ever seen in my yeah. life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly, you, can't force yeah. them, you can't force them to like it. That's just how it is, you know? No. So it's just yeah. everyone Everyone is different. Everyone is absolutely different. Yeah. Um, okay, so final question. Is there 
Um, anything that came out of the pandemic that you feel like, obviously, I know you guys are still in it a lot more than we are. We definitely feel like we're out of it. Um, but is there anything, maybe let's use the year 2020, uh, even the start of 2021 is a bit more extreme that came out as a, a silver lining for you that wasn't, I, you know, spent more time with my kids or I spent more time at home. I got mm. more downtime. What is a more specific silver lining that came out of it for you? <laughs> this is a funny one, right? So you kind of said this before. And when you said it, I was, this was my initial two reactions. One, no, no, there's not, there's not a single silver lining. I, I can't. And then my mind went, male sex toys. That'll be a funny answer. <laughs> I was like, Lock, lockdown is difficult as a single dad. And I was like, that'll be a funny answer to give. Male but, sex toys. <laughs> so, uh, hey, what did I say? What, what, all your listeners, what did I say about being non-judgmental? Anyway, <laughs> so, no. So, the the thing I will say is, I've I have not read a book since I was 15 years old, ever, never read a book. And the, for the first time, and I buy books, like this is my bookshelf. Some of these are crappy books, some of the behind me, uh, some of the are just books I've been sent by people, but I just never read books. It's not my thing. Uh, but I bought Viktor Frankl's book, Man's Search for Meaning, again, because I just buy these books and just have them. And sometimes I'll flick them and I'll, and I'll, and I'll look at, just a page that I saw someone else mentioning and just look at quotes and references and, and just in, out of interest. And I just have them sitting there. It's, it's almost like a collecting thing and I don't actually do anything with them. So, but I read, or, and you know what I've started reading and it's the most I've ever read of a book since I was 15 and uh, Victor Vankel's book. And I'm, I'm kind of th- three quarters of the way through and it's the most phenomenal book I've, I'm going to say ever read, but it's the most, what I mean is it's the most profound thing that I'm so glad I found. And one of the reasons I bought it was because of all of his quotes that I saw online, which just resonate with me and the way I live my life. And I was just like this, I just feel like this guy's speaking to me. And then I read the book during the global pandemic and I actually found it super helpful and it really helped me at times when I was struggling with my mental health. And so, and just the, you know, the quotes in there, I'm a big quote person. I love quotes. And I, I was, I met with a um, interior designer yesterday and they're going to do bits of our offices, but I, I'm, I might get my house and bedroom and stuff with all of these quotes. I want my bedroom to just be covered in a, in a few of my favorite quotes because it, like I said about gratitude, it's a great thing if you do have this habit of wake, waking up and doing gratitude, but waking up and seeing some of these quotes that I do constantly remind myself of. And, and I, I have these things in my head. I have a good memory. I'm able to kind of recall them and I, and I reflect on them, it, it, you know, at various points. And so I'm going to get these quotes done in different ways so I can just wake up. And the first thing that goes into my mind are these super virtuous, great ways of thinking and things to base your life on. And, you know, I'm not sure how aware or interested you are in stoicism or some of that stuff, but, um, you know, the stoic philosophy of life. I, and this book, it just encompasses all of it. So, and one of his quotes within that book will go on the wall and, um, 
So I think that's my silver lining is I, I read most of that book. And at the same time, just the stuff that I took away from that book, I think will serve me well for the rest of my life. Yeah, it's a great book. And I would recommend if you haven't picked it up and, and read it, it's, it's definitely a must. Um, it's a, and I think a lot of people have heard of it. So probably maybe this is a cue for them to read it. But um, mm. that's a great place to finish. So Martin, uh, you have a few different things that you do. Maybe tell us about each of them and then where people can find them. Mm. Yeah, so um, best place if anyone wants to message me or look into more of my work or whatever is, is Instagram. I spend a lot of time on there these days just interacting with people, I'm quite interactive. People are like, oh, I can't believe you replied to my DM. Um, and I'm just like, I'm just a normal person who loves this stuff. So, um, but yeah, the, the big things that we've really got coming up is we've got our July enrollment for Matt Nutrition Uni. We've now gone down to one intake a year. So intake starts in September. So for any of your personal trainer, practitioner, listeners, get on that because the next time will, will be 2022. Um, and we're launching this layperson's course, MN School of Nutrition. So again, trying to launch that this year. So it's going to be this all-encompassing nutrition course for someone who doesn't want to be a practitioner, self-paced study and those kind of things. So, uh, and then I've obviously got my website, martin-macdonald.com. Um, there's some like free lectures, behavior change, uh, dieting to single digit body fat, PCOS, people want to um yeah learn more from me that you know that stuff's there awesome well i appreciate your time and i'm sure the listeners do as well and sharing a lot of that mm. stuff so thank you and um yeah hopefully we can do it again in the future mm, my pleasure i really enjoyed it thanks very much thank you